Broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 and Jar Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. Hey, welcome in on a Wednesday. It's one week away from, really, Thanksgiving. I mean, obviously it's Thursday, but... I mean, doesn't the holiday really start on Wednesday? It will for us. We will not have a show next Wednesday. Um, I'm actually heading home for a few days. First time in like three years, I think, been home. Uh, so uh, we are going to be off Wednesday, Thursday, Friday next week. But we are here today. Um, Austin Lane is not. He is getting ready for fight time. He's got a lot of prep work to do. <laughs> he better have already done his prep work in terms of the fight. But uh, yeah. he's got prep work to do um, in, in terms of the fight, uh, blood work and all these other things that you got to do now, COVID tests. So he's got that happen this afternoon. Then he's off to Houston. and uh, I do have his golf pick. Oh, Talk that's good. You got it. Good, yeah. good, good. I don't even have mine yet. Um, Me neither. And uh, so then a big fight coming up on Sunday. I'm excited for Austin. This is really a, a cool opportunity. Since we started the show, there hasn't been this kind of opportunity for Austin in, in the fight game. Um, and so he slowly uh, kind of worked his way back up the ladder uh, to get a chance on Sunday. And uh, hopefully everybody rooting for him, pulling for him, take a look at it on Sunday, UFC Fight Pass. I'm going to be selling a lot of UFC fight passes, I think, I think over so. the next few days. But I'm going to have to get one. There's a reason for it, right? So uh, that could be really cool. Hey, we know how it goes. You enter the arena, you, it's, there's no guarantees. But uh, a win over Juan Adams on Sunday for Austin would really propel him. We talked about it a little bit yesterday's show. If you want to know more from Austin's mouth on it, uh, in the last segment of the show yesterday, uh, we discussed kind of what it could mean. And it's not an automatic bid to the UFC, but it's... Uh, uh, a real decent chance to get up there. So that's how big of a fight. I think everybody knows from the fight game uh, stuff, you know, when he fought Greg Hardy, that was a big moment. That was a big opportunity. But that was kind of early in Austin's fight career. And he was pretty raw back then. And now you've got three years experience under your belt. And he's fought all different kind of fighters. And he's won a lot, uh, a lot of fights. And so uh, now get the opportunity again. Has the momentum it, as well from little, the last fight. Little momentum. Yeah, last couple fights, really. And... Uh, uh, he's got that momentum, and this is kind of more the uh, the natural route, too. Like, the, the thing about against Hardy was kind of the NFL guy, NFL guy, and it was really early on. It was like a big opportunity early right. in the fight career, but this is more back up the ladder and, and, and all those things that go into it, which I'm not even completely aware of, but I've learned a lot over the years uh, from Austin asking him about it. So uh, really cool, cool stuff. Uh, we kind of underplay it because he'll be humble about it, but uh, it's really a big-time opportunity uh, coming up on, on Sunday for Austin uh, there in Houston. So that's why he won't be with us uh, next few days. I think he actually is flying back on Monday, too, so he won't be with us Monday. I mean, he's got one day of work, basically, over the next uh, rest of the two weeks. Yeah, I mean, I mean, sort I mean, of I, I work, mean, work in this building, yeah, at I was least. Say, depends how you, how you call uh, work in the cage. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's probably got a little harder work than us. Um, so anyway, uh, Brent Martin, Casey Kurtz with you here on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday as well. we got plenty to get to. I was down at Jags today. I heard you. Uh, oh, did you hear me? Oh, yeah. Or you were listening to... Uh, yeah, I kind of asked a lot of questions today, didn't I? You did. I, actually, Urban took a lot of questions. Like, there's, it was long, yeah. As a... Um, you know, as somebody in our business, there's there's like a, a clock that goes off kind of in your head that's like, okay, this interview... Even if you're doing like a one-on-one -on -one interview, like, okay, this is going along with time. Like, they might start losing interest here right we all have add to some degree <laughs> they might they might start doing that so uh that felt long today i was like should i keep this thing going but i, I wanted to ask him a little bit and i thought urban was really good on a lot of different topics and 
Uh, and so we, we asked him a bunch of different topics. We'll get into that. Receivers were the heavy topic today at, at Jags headquarters, and, and they continue to be. The amount of drops that are happening, uh, I think uh, someone brought up 18 drops is the number mm-hmm. by whatever statistic you want to uh, look at. I remember seeing that stat two weeks ago. I want to say it was the Seattle game, but it, it might have been even the win over Buffalo. But I think it was the Seattle game where they said 11 drops on third down. Like it led the league. 11 drops on third down. So think about that for a moment. And that was two games ago. So I don't even know how many of these drops came on third down in the in last week especially. I mean, that is – that those are points – like, those are, I mean, we know for one, like, I, I know the one Dan Arnold had the interception uh, down there the goal line, and it went off his hands. But yeah. that was a turnover, so you cost yourself at least three points. It might have cost you, it would have been a first down, it might have cost yourself seven points. So, first downs, points, field goal opportunities, sustained drives, rhythm for the offense coordinator, rhythm for the quarterback, rhythm for the running game, rhythm for the receiving game. And right now, I mean, that's why I keep using out of sync, because this thing is not in rhythm when you're dropping 18 balls through uh, nine games. I mean, that is that's that's too much. You, you get you get paid to play on Sunday for a reason, and uh, I think that's really hard on the young quarterback. I think it's really hard on an offensive coordinator. So I'm not going to be the ultimate defender of Daryl Bevel, but I think when your offense is what they did the other day, the rookie quarterback made some mistakes. We know that's going to happen, but he made maybe even more than he has made in some games. The Five drops at the very least, five drops, by the way, conservative count, um, which I don't even know if that's factored into the 18. Like, I, I don't know where their numbers, what they call a drop, but to our eyes, it was like five drops, and it might even have been more. And then six penalties on offense. I mean, what's the offensive coordinator really supposed to do if you're calling plays like that and you can't get in a rhythm? I mean, every play caller will tell you picking up that first down the first first down of a drive is where you start to gain steam and gain rhythm. People who like to move fast on offense, they need that first down to move fast on offense. And I'm not saying the Jags are going to move fast like and run 90 plays in a game, but still, you get the idea that you've got to be able to do that. And right now, the receivers just aren't helping out. There, uh, Laquan Treadwell made a great play, uh, but there are not many great plays for the Jags. There are not guys making plays. And over the years, we've talked about a lot of bad offense around here. And what I would always say, and what I continue to say, is you watch highlights on a Sunday night, and you say, wow, guys all over the league are making plays. Where the hell is that in Jacksonville? And wh- who's making a play? And that's the problem with their offense right now. Not enough guys making plays. James Robinson, pro football focus. James Robinson, your eye test. James Robinson statistically says that guy's making plays. That guy's doing his job. I mean, he is doing what he needs to do. Problem is he's been banged up the last few weeks. But the receivers, you look at the stats, you look at the eye test, and then you look at the bad plays and not enough highlights to overcome those. Well, they're not doing their job. And then we can get to the quarterback and the play caller after that. And they're probably not doing their job to the best of their ability either. But there's more than just those two guys where everybody points their finger to. And with the the play with Treadwell, at least when at least when you're watching on TV, like you can see where the guy like the receivers line up. So you have a general idea like where they are. But when the play starts, they run out of the screen, whatever. So when that ball was in the air that Trevor threw, I, I usually do this thing. I'm like, man, I hope it's going to. And then I say somebody's name. I can't. I, I didn't have a name to say. Man, I hope that's going to. Well, I, I don't hope it's going to LaVisca. I don't really hope it's going to Dan Arnold. And then it was Treadwell, and he makes a great play. So maybe that's my new. Ah, man, I hope that's going to Treadwell. I do think, you know, I do think Marvin Jones is a good player. 
I think he's a reliable player. I think he's a good player. I don't know if he should have had that one play, but outside, I know he dropped one earlier on like a third and 15 this year. I forget what game that was. I can see it in my mind. It was a good throw, and he just flat out spiked it into the ground. And so I, I'm not saying he's been perfect. I think he is a good player. He's the guy that I want the ball to. I just don't know if there's enough targets going to Marvin Jones. And then the other part of this is LaVisca Chenault has regressed in such a way that is is really eye-opening and you can double down on that because you just watched Debo Samuel do what he did Monday, and that's the guy he's supposed to be like. Now, listen, Debo's been doing it a little bit longer. Debo is is in a groove right now. I think he's second in the NFL in yards. I'm not even saying you have to be that guy. They're not the exact player. It's just a good comparison player because of the things that Chenault can do. But LaVisca's not doing anything. Like, I remember when Urban Myers said... It was the one game, I think it was at the Cincinnati game where he had one catch, I think maybe the 58-yarder, and then coming out of that, Urban Meyer was like, hey, we got to get him like 10 touches. Like, we got to get him the ball. Well, and it looks like they've tried from the backfield and whatnot. They have tried some ways. I think you could make the case they might have gotten the ball 10 times in the last five games since Urban said that, but part of that is because he's not catching the football. I mean, he has to have the most drops over the last few weeks. The Miami game, he had two drops I can remember. Last week, another drop. He's running the wrong routes. Right. Like, I mean, he's not doing the right. Like, we can see that. I can only imagine if he's messing up more things. You know, LaVisca Chenault is in a funk right now. And I don't think this guy's a bad player. He might not be as good as we think he is, or maybe he shouldn't have been picked in the second round. I don't think this guy's a bad player. I think he can be utilized in the right way. And they talked about it today. They've been jumping him from inside and outside. I do not know why when you give guys multiple things to do in the NFL. It just never works. It never works. Just keep him right there. Just keep him where he's good. Like, what I don't understand about moving him to the outside, and I understand that that shark went down, and so you try to assume those duties. No. Replace him with somebody else. Because I remember a quote from Marvin Jones in training camp say he might be like the biggest mismatch in the slot in the league. That's from a fellow wide receiver. Now, that might be hyperbole, too. But the bottom line is, if he's that good from the slot, why are the coaches moving him to the outside to try to replace Chark? That's not where he's at his best. Again, we have examples of this. Why does Miles Jack, first couple years, not play the weak side, even though that's where he's at his best? Why did Taven Bryan try to play the Calais Campbell position, even though that's not where he's at his best? I mean, haven't we learned around here? I know it's not the same reg regime, but can we put guys at where they're the best? Like, to excel. <laughs> They don't, I don't want my guy being in another spot and being a B-level player when he can be an A-level player from where he should be playing. Yeah. I just I, I guess it's a move of panic, I guess you could say, because then you put Agnew inside and you think the size makes more sense because most of the slot receivers are smaller. But, yeah, I don't, I don't understand. I, I, I'm sick of Chenault just because I just I don't like it, and there's nothing you can really do about it except get better. And I don't know if that's going to happen. Obviously, if you have another option, it might help. And I don't know if John Brown is that option, but Urban talked about him today, as I heard. Uh, what's the deal with that, by the way? Why, why does Urban not know about him yet? He was asked about it, and he says there's not enough reps. Like, what does that mean? Uh, it's just not, I mean, when did, he, when did they bring him in? Last week. So they brought him in last week. He doesn't even know the playbook yet, probably. So they don't even see him really on the practice field. A little bit. Look, liking it like Odell Beckham Jr., uh, just to a lesser degree because he's not as big a name and you don't know if he's going to make an impact. But Odell Beckham Jr. wasn't in the game a lot. 
the other night. Right. It wasn't because, well, because he hadn't been out on the practice field. They don't trust him. He doesn't trust it. He doesn't know the offense that well. I thought it was interesting what they were talking about in the broadcast about the red zone. Like, you have to have timing and all that stuff, so you're not going to put him out there in that in those situations. But, yeah, I guess it's a little bit of that. And, and I mean, listen, the last time the Jags actually practiced was last Friday. And they're really the last time that, I mean, did they really, pra- on Friday, do you practice practice? Like, right. you're really kind of getting through the final stages of it. And I would say last Thursday, and I don't even, when Brown was signed, it was sometime last week. But Yeah, I'm looking for it. I, I mean, so it. I think there's reason to believe that Urban Meyer, when you ask Urban Meyer, like, hey, how's John Brown looked? Well, I've seen him run, like, sprints. I've seen him catch the ball off the jugs machine. Like, I've seen him catch it off air, <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> uh, from C.J. Bethard. But... That's all I've seen. So I don't think, listen, a lot of people take, don't love what Urban says sometimes. And I think what we have to, this is a topic for a little bit later on, but I think what we have to understand about Urban Meyer is he's brought in here to be a CEO kind of coach more than he is, I'm, I'm going to micromanage every position. Now, you can not like that, but he's obviously letting his guys coach and get wrapped up in the, the depth of coaching, in the weeds of coaching. And he's letting them do that. He's more of that culture guy. You heard the soundbite, and we'll play a little bit later, but the soundbite was like, hey, the only thing worse than confidence is false confidence. Like, that's what Urban looks at. Urban is trying to play with the psyche of this team. He's trying to uh, identify the tough-nosed guys, the competitor guys. The like, That's kind of what he's done in his career. I'm not saying he can't call a play. He can't fix the offense a little bit. But he obviously has trusted Schottenheimer and Bevel, two guys that have been around, to do it now should he we can argue that but that's what he's doing right that's what he's doing uh we'll get a little bit more urban in a moment i want to stay on lavisca because i really think they've got to get lavisca going like agnew has been good in spots but i think you've got to be very careful to rely on agnew as this receiving guy all of a sudden he's a special teams ace he he's dynamic with his speed which you can use on offense but is he a guy you want touching the ball seven to eight to ten times a game? I mean, come on. That's not what they paid him for. That's, that's, nobody's used him like that in the NFL. And there's a reason for that, probably. So, LaVisca Chenault, they drafted in the second round to be utilized in a similar way minus the speed. He's got more toughness than speed. But utilized in that kind of way where you can get him the ball in the backfield. You can get him the ball on a jet sweep. You can get him the ball on a bubble screen. You can get him the ball in the middle of the field. Uh, And then occasionally you can get him the ball down the field. And he hasn't had a drop problem really in his career. He's definitely in a funk. And the the offensive coordinator's job, in my opinion, is to get players like that out of the funk and get him on the page and make stuff easy for him and get him some confidence. And I think that you marry the two together. I think that's what Urban's talking about. He wasn't specifically talking about a false confidence with LaVisca, but right now he's got a little bit of a lack of confidence. I think that's showing up on Sundays in LaVisca Chenault. And so they have got to find a way to do that and get him the football because they don't have a lot of fixes when it comes to speed. We can sit here and talk all day, but they lost Chark. They lost ETN. Yeah, they have Agnew with some speed. They weren't bringing in, I mean, they're bringing in John Brown, but come on now. That's just like a try this guy out and see if it works and, and roll of the dice and keep your fingers crossed kind of play. So what do you have? Well, you have Marvin Jones who has had himself a really nice career. You paid him money. Get him the football. You drafted LaVisca Chenault, and the guy's proven that he can make some plays in the league, and if you do things the right way with him, he can be pretty dynamic and tough for defenses. Make the most of them. Make the calls that make his skill set really blossom and get him some confidence along the way. 
So if you do that with those two guys, then you get Jamal Agnew doing whatever he can do and help you out on, the, I mean, the jet sweeps, the, the, the motion plays, those have worked. Those have been good. And now you have James Robinson hopefully getting healthier and healthier, and you have Dan Arnold. Listen, I don't think all is lost with this offense. I mean, I think they have some decent guys that they can certainly scheme some good offense with and play better if these guys will catch the ball. They won't get penalties, and the quarterback can hit them. You know, so I, I have not given up on this offense. Now, it's not going to be the Chiefs. Like, I get it, but it shouldn't be a 16-point offense. No. It really shouldn't. It should not be. the when They can run the ball. The way they run the ball, when James is healthy, and if he is healthy, and if he can get back in there and get 20 touches a game, they, are, they should be able to put 24-27 up on the board. They really should. And I think a big part of this three weeks is the fact that James isn't healthy, and you can't rely on that right now, and you can't play off that. You know what you t – I almost put this in, and I knew Twitter would come all over, get all over me here for it. But uh, the last three weeks – well, because I tweeted this out about Matt Jones. said so the running game the last month for New England, I, I saw some stats that make them the best in the league the last month, the last three weeks, the last month, whatever it is. And they're on a four-game win streak. By the way, their defense is also the best in the league during that stretch. I mean, they are playing really good complementary football. If you could take the Jags' defense to be the best in the league the last month and their running game to be the best in the league in the last month, do you think Trevor would be playing better? Yeah, I think be. so, yeah. right? I think so. That means you're getting turnovers. That means you're giving them the ball at the 20-yard line, all those things. So I, I think, and I'm not trying to take away from Mac, but everything is working well right now around Mac, and, and so Mac is playing better. They are elevating him up, and he is helping that by playing good football. But you have to look at these last three weeks and look at the Jags running game, and I feel like it's about from the running back position, they're getting about 70, 75 yards a game. Now, against Indy, they ran for like 180 yards. But 66 was on Agnew. Right. And four, I think, for 32 was Trevor. So that's 98 yards on five plays, and those aren't your running backs. So now if you take that away, now you ran for about 80 yards. And that was with a good second half from, from James Robinson. They didn't really use him in the first. So the running game we all know is key. They have to get it going again. But I think... They have to get LaVisca Chenault going, too, because that's somebody that the defense has to then identify, account for, match up with. And then you start putting Agnew in motion, and Dan Arnold is one of your mismatches. Dan Arnold's probably your only mismatch. Agnew's not a mismatch. Chenault, right now, I can't call him a mismatch the way he's playing. But Arnold, with his speed, you can scheme things to make him a, a mismatch. And so I haven't given up on this offense, but they got a lot of work to do. Guys got to play better, and they got to make the most out of the skill sets of what they have. That's speed Agnew, that's speed Arnold, that's toughness and versatility for LaVisca, not speed. And that's veteran savvy and, and a good receiver for Marvin Jones. So make it all work, Daryl Bevel. That's why I just wonder, like, with LaVisca, if, if we're wrong on the gadget part of it. And I think I said this on Monday night, but it was just like, is he maybe he's just a physical receiver like maybe that's what it is and they're trying to make him something he's not yep I, I get what you're saying but you watch Debo the other day right he's a physical receiver yeah he he is running end arounds and maybe sometimes out of the backfield this isn't like they're trying to set up a screen play all the time to LaVisca and say, take it the distance from 68 yards. Like, that play for Jamal Agnew was designed to hopefully go 66 yards. Sure. They could run the same play with LaVisca, and they would settle for a 15-yard gain. They're not trying to get 66 out of him there. And I think the same with Debo Samuel. I mean, Debo Samuel 
it's probably a little quicker than has, has uh, LaVisca, right? He looks faster. Yeah, and I, I would say there's a chance LaVisca is probably more physical than him. I would agree. You know? Yeah. So you're not going to – we know that, though. LaVisca Chanel's not going to run away from people. But, hey, we'll take 22-yard gains, you know? Yeah. <laughs> take 14-yard gain and make, them, make the defense think about it. Like, that's what they got to do. Uh, we used to have this bingo chart on, on LaVisca. And we would say at the time, their more offense isn't doing anything. And so they can't get to the bingo card on Visca, LaVisca. They right. couldn't. Because if you're not picking up first downs, if you're not running 12 plays in a drive or 10 plays in a drive, well, when are you calling the, the bubble screen to LaVisca? When are you calling the end around? When are you putting them in the backfield in the Wildcat? Well, you're not going to do that on first down coming into a drive, you know? So that's uh, they've got to get in a rhythm of sorts. One, with him as a player, because he is in a funk, like clearly in a funk. And two, as an offense, to be able to use LaVisca Chanel a little bit better. I'm not ready to call LaVisca a bust. I mean, I know he's not playing well, but I, I'm not ready to call him a I've seen him play pretty good football at times. He's got to be way more consistent. I think I lean that way because of every other mistake they've made. I think so. So, it, like, that's kind of what people think about, I think. So it's like, oh, great, they did it again. Yeah. And people need to be proved wrong, and I think that's a fair point well, that you have to prove them wrong to get on their side. Yeah, it's like, what have you done for me lately, right? Yeah, exactly. But, but it's also like calling Matthew Stafford a bad quarterback for the last two weeks. But now, you have yeah. plenty of equity built up over 10 years that he can really make plays. But you could sit here and say right now, Matthew Stafford's never going to win big. He never did in Detroit, and look at him the last couple of weeks. <laughs> you know? It's but, true. But nobody's going to say that. The guy's got skill. Uh, LaVisca Chenault's better than he's playing. I, I, I really feel that, that he's better. they got to utilize him the right way and get him some confidence. We'll be back. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. We have some fun topics. We're not talking draft, but I do have kind of a draft question. <laughs> That's on the way as well. More receiver talk, more Urban Meyer talk. And uh, the Butcher's not here, but we do have golf picks coming up on ESPN 690 later on. Part of it, yeah. You look at our history of those guys, to me, are hard to find. I think LaVisca, and I think that's why we handed off to uh, uh, Agnew. You know, fast guys in space are how you score touchdowns, and that's what they do a nice job with him. And we're we're still figuring things out, but I think LaVisca and Agnew should be able to do that. I know ETN, I mean, my gosh. And that's why those guys are, you know, Kamara for uh, New Orleans. You know, you can look at Art, Curtis Samuel, Percy Harvin, whatever, da, da, da. Paris Campbell, those are all guys that fast guys in space are dual threats. That is Urban Meyer today. A lot of talk about the receiver position. Debo Samuel, it's going to be an interesting matchup now. He's playing really good football, and Shanahan knows how to use him, and he utilizes him great. Yeah, you mix in Ayuk, you mix in a healthy Kittle, and they're dangerous. They're da Kittle really makes them different, and I'm not really sure he's back to his old self just yet. He'll probably get there, and it might be time to get there this week. And Jags have struggled with tight ends anyway, so... Uh, but they're playing better football, and, and Joe Cullen's put up some pretty good game plans. The bottom line is, a dangerous team coming into Jacksonville, San Francisco. Like, we thought they'd be really good. They have not been good. They really have not been good. They were good Monday night, and they have the ability to be good. Like, they're they can be a dangerous That entire West can be really good. And uh, there's a real good chance that Jags go 0-4 against the West. They're, they're really just not as good on paper as any of those teams. And Seattle was playing down at the time, didn't have Russell Wilson. You thought maybe they could do something there, but you got to go out to Seattle, which we know is like add on 10 points every time the Jags got to fly 
six hours west. At this point in time, is it's either that or Houston, I know. But is the Seattle performance the most depressing one that the Jags have had this year? Or no. would you say Houston? Houston. No. Yeah, I mean, he, I, I do think the Seattle game, uh, I think it happens. I think the Seattle game is one that happens in the NFL. I hate to say that because around here, those games have happened quite a bit. Right. And so that's the... Like, that's the muddy part. Like, all right, is this just another Jags game or is this just a game that happens? Again, we look at the Rams the last two weeks have done it. I mean, they have absolutely stunk the last two weeks. They've gotten the doors blown off. Once at home. Yeah. And so you do that and then you take like a, a, a Bucks team. I'll give you I'll give you the Bills game. I'll give you every I'll give you every team has those games. Sure. And so the Houston one was so disappointing because Houston stinks. And yeah. and you couldn't line up. You couldn't even play football. That now, there's a little bit of that in the Seattle game, too, where you couldn't line up play football. So it's more – those are the things that are more nauseating and concerning than, uh, than the actual performance and, and scoreboard, in my opinion, because that shouldn't look like that. Uh, but I still think Houston takes the cake in that, and, yeah. and, and it clearly does to me. I will say this. If you look at those games and what they did the week later, you have to give the Jags coaching staff – nobody wants to give the Jags coaching staff credit. But the way they fixed that stuff immediately, I thought was pretty impressive. Yeah. They played Denver. They still got beat. But Denver – I still think Denver's a completely different game if, they, if Lambeau makes a couple kicks. You feel differently about that game. And they have the lead going into halftime. And then Denver got the ball coming out of the second half, scored right away, and it was, boom, it's like 17-7 or something. And it could have been, even if they did that, it could have been 17-13, and you're right in the mix. So, but they, fi- they didn't look disorganized in that game. They just didn't win. And it was the second game of the year, and uh, Trevor Lawrence was like 14-33 in that game, and Fangio's pretty good against yeah, young good quarterbacks. Defense. And so there was, there was some of that. But I still am a little – I'm impressed that you can look so bad in the Houston game and Seattle game and come back the very next week and look on point like they did in both those instances from a lining up and, and fixing some of those mistakes. So what they got to do is avoid going back to that well. I mean, you can't be doing that once a month. And right now they're on pace to do that once a month, and that's a little bit concerning. Can't do it against the 49ers. They're going to beat you if you can't line up. Listen, I have – my problem, and I'll talk more about this as the week goes along, my problem in the, with the 49ers and the Jags is I – now, listen, Joe Cullen has given me a little bit of pause on this thought, but I think Shanahan can really scheme you up. And Shanahan schemed up the Rams. You watch the breakdowns on all that stuff, and he, he found a way to get Debo away from Jalen Ramsey and, and made it tough for the Rams, and he had the favorable matchups. And he called a brilliant game, and I think Urban said it today. They, they ran one of the plays like 15, 20 times. They found a play that is going to beat you, and they just keep going to it. And, I mean, Garoppolo was fine. He executed the game plan, but he's kind of like Mac Jones in the sense where he didn't do anything like, oh, my gosh. He just went like 15 for 18 for 198 yards. You know, and, and executed things. So it's a great comparison, by the way, since that was supposed to be the guy that replaced Tom. Yeah, I know. But that's that's what they're doing with their quarterbacks. They're not asking Garoppolo to go throw it for 400 yards. And the last time the Jags played Shanahan, I mean, he outschemed the heck out of the Jags, and that was 17. That was that good defense. Yep. But he knew that defense. He had played. He he knew that defense well from his Atlanta days and from San Francisco with Sala there, and he knew how to beat it, and he beat it. So it's going to be an interesting chess match to watch Joe Cullen counter 
what they try to do on offense because I think that was a pretty darn good blueprint on Monday of what they're going to try to do, uh, what they did to the Rams. It worked so effectively. It was their best performance of the uh, of the season for the 49ers. All right, hey, a lot of word coming in right now. I think I saw Ian Rappaport tweet out that uh, James Robinson is added to the injury list. Um, or he's on the injury list and, and Jags injury report out today, and it says heel and knee injury. Well, if you watched uh, it, it, and uh, by the way, I know not everybody does. We, we hope you do, uh, both watch and listen. But if you watched um, Jags report live Monday night, we have James Robinson on each and every week from Sneakers and Jack's Beach, 7 o'clock. Come on out. Jags Media, you're invited. Uh, as I just said on Twitter, maybe uh, someone that. will buy a beer. But uh, the... It's also on Fox 30, that show. And, and James, when we asked him about warming up in that game, because I kind of joked with him, like I TMZ'd him a little bit. Like I was all you over did, that. Yeah. that sh- somebody actually came up to me, like from another station in India, and was like, like, what are you doing? Like, what are you filming? Like, what are you videoing? Like, well, who is that? And that's what he said. They said, like, who is who that? Who is that? Yeah. Hey, uh, do some research, indeed uh, media. Well, sometimes you don't care about the other team as much. But uh, anyway. We were talking about Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, we were. But... Um, so anyway, uh, that I, <laughs> I said that to James. He's like, yeah, I saw you. And But during the explanation of what he was looking for, he, he kind of announced, like we hadn't heard this yet, that he also hyperextended his knee on the same play that he hurt his heel. And so when he was putting the brakes on, and if you think about it, it makes sense. And actually, if you go back and look at the play, you can kind of see it. And so it's been a heel injury, but he even had some, I would say, discomfort in the knee. Um but everybody's been focusing on the heel. And so he said that on Monday. I tweeted that out yesterday. We talked about it on the show yesterday here on ESPN 690. Uh, and now they've added the knee to the list because you have to accurately report things. And so I, I'm not even sure that Jags knew for the last couple of weeks that his knee might have been bothering him a little bit. And I don't know if his knee's actually hurting, hurting. I think when he said he was testing it out, he wanted to make sure the knee was okay in the testing phase Sunday morning to make cuts and everything else because it goes hand in hand with um, or heel and heel with his foot well and, and his knee. So uh, that's the story. This is not new. This is not something that came out of the game uh, for James Robinson. This is something that's been on his, his mind uh, a little bit. The heel has been the main part of the injury, but uh, the knee and, and now they put it on the, the injury report today too. I don't think this should be alarming is my point. I, I think he came out of that game. He's still sore. Uh, he told us that Monday. He still doesn't feel like himself. He thought he should have broken some more tackles in that game. And I think he thought three weeks ago he would have broken some of those tackles if he had the proper, you know, 100% push-off and, and power in his, his lower half. Uh, so he's working toward that. But I'm not sure this should be that alarming for anybody that the knee now joins the heel on the injury report. It's the same play, same injury, not something new uh, that happened uh, in the game against Indianapolis. Unless there's something new that happened, like, in practice. Yeah. You know, that'd be the only caveat to that. Seems unlikely, but I think it's just, at the end of the day, the interviewer makes the interview, so I guess you just bring the best out of people, and you got James to maybe... Bring the, but you brought the best out of him is what it is, and he, he trusts you to tell his story, I guess. Yeah, I guess. It fits I, the narrative. Sure, I'll take the credit for it. My, yeah. Really, my concern now is that he won't share anything else with us. No, never. Because it's becoming such a... Yeah, not a chance. It's a bigger... He probably got asked by, like, PR, probably got asked by everybody. He's like, what's up with your knee? Yeah. What's the matter with your knee? <laughs> as soon as you guys went to break, his phone was blowing up. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so anyway, that's the story and the latest. But I guess everybody, Rappaport tweeted the injury report, retweeted yeah, the injury report. It. And I think everybody's like, oh, that's all, that's a new thing. Heads up, fantasy owners. I think just this clarification, it does not appear to be a new thing. Not that we were told from James Robinson on Monday night. Uh, and, and I still have this belief, at least from talking to James. Again, and you talk to him Monday night, 24 hours after the game, they fly back all that stuff, and he's getting treatment. And now here we are on Wednesday. Things can change with your body. But I got the feeling that, listen, he's not 100%. But he's good enough to play and keep playing on. He's going to get more comfortable with it. And as long as there's not a setback, he'll be fine. There's some of this that's a pain tolerance thing, mostly with the heel that's a pain tolerance thing. And so it seems like he got going a little bit in the second half. And I think that was encouraging, Austin, because – Austin, Casey. I'm uh, good. I'll take that one. Uh, because if we now – the reason why it's encouraging is, one, I want James to stack up as many stats as he can. He's, I think he's going to get paid at the end of this year. So the more stats, the merrier. The reason why it's also encouraging is this offense has kind of proven that they can't really function without him. And yeah. so if you're going to function on offense soon, like Sunday, it's good to have James Robinson. I think that's like a proven fact now over the last month. No, it's a fact. It's 100% a fact. And I, I hate... I hate to say it, but if you have to do a similar thing to what you did last week, maybe try to figure out a way to play offense. But if you got to save him for the second half or, you know, you got to balance those reps maybe more because, like you said, we barely saw him in the first half. And if if that's what you got to do, I guess that's what you got to do. But maybe more balance, I don't know, because by the time you get to the second half, you felt like you were out of the game until he was making plays. So got to find that balance. And at the same time, you got to have guys like Carlos Hyde step up. Also, in Goomba Wale, can we let him, like, try? I mean, yeah. he's on the team for a reason. Dude's played like four snaps. Yeah, Let him try. I, I do. I'll tell you this, though. I, I'll say this. I think Carlos Hyde, like, people just don't want Carlos. They, they've got this negative connotation of Carlos Hyde. Yep. And it's not just because he missed an all-access one time. It's the, the guy, I think they want James to have the ball so much that Carlos Hyde is getting, like, this negative connotation. I think Carlos, Carlos Hyde's a bad player. I just think it's proven that Carlos Hyde is your main guy isn't going to get it done. Dare is probably in the same boat. This offense isn't going to function at, as a, at high of a level if he's running the football or if James is running the football. So this isn't about the bottom line is they have got to get back to where James Robinson is touching the football, in my estimation, somewhere between 18 and 22 times a game. I really would like it more toward 22 and even 24 if you can do it because that means you're probably winning and you can run and, and you can melt some clock and all those things. So if you figure you have 60, 62 plays in a game, you run a couple times with Agnew and LaVisca and, and Carlos Hyde, well, that leaves a, hopefully about 30 passes for Trevor and 22 carries or so for James Robinson. And that's not even in the pass game. You could utilize him there if you want to. So I think... Uh, I don't think we're going to see this offense really function at, a, at its highest level. Uh, I'm not sure I should say at a high level because I'm not sure it's ever going to get to a high level, but at its highest level until James can touch the ball 22 times again. Right. And, and hopefully this week will be it. Again, he got it 12 times last week, and they really weren't sure what they could do with him. They hardly tested him in the first half. They tried to get away with that, and then they're like, you know what, I think we've got to give it to him. And, and he toughed it out. So... Uh, we will see what happens. But, again, the, the story here is it's not a new knee injury. It's 
something that happened on the heel injury that he told us about Monday night was a hyperextended knee, and now it's listed on the injury report as well because, you know what, you kind of got to list him. Like, I'm not sure James <laughs> told anybody until he told us all on Monday. That's what this feels like. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Sorry, James, we might have got you in trouble. Yeah, hopefully he comes back next Monday. So we'll see. He's scheduled. He's scheduled. Yeah. Kind of like Josh was scheduled to join you guys at Top Golf yesterday. Yeah, good point. Uh, I know this. James won't be at Pinehurst playing golf. That is true. <laughs> you have, you've, you've narrowed that down. Uh, hopefully James uh, joins us next Monday and is healthy and has 140 yards and three scores. That would be perfect. <laughs> we'll be back. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Uh, that's an issue. That's something that uh, we've addressed. That's something, you know, um, do we put them in those situations where they're, you know, able to compete and make, make catches? But I didn't realize it was 18. That's, that's a tough number. Especially with a young quarterback that we need to, you know, we're trying not to get him touched and we're trying to make plays. That's how you have success. So how do you, that's why we're kind of rotating guys around and trying to get that right mix together. I later told Urban Meyer, said, uh, you look at that drop number. I said, if you really want to throw up your lunch, go look at third down drops. He's like, I don't want to. <laughs> I wouldn't either. Uh, yeah. Again, I think the third down drop, drop stat is interesting. I, I haven't seen – I just saw CBS at one time put the numbers out, but that's fascinating to me. And I remember a couple of them, but I, I didn't know it was at as high as 11. And drops are a funny thing. Like what the coaching staff counts as drops, what the receivers groups count as drops, what the quarterback counts as drops. Uh, if I'm Trevor Lawrence's dad, my drop total's up to like 28. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you <know>? 100%. <laughs> drops is such a – it's one it's of those a, stats. I'm not his dad, but I am kind of his defender. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's like that. 28. Yeah, you are that. No, uh, drops is such an interesting stat where it's like nobody really knows what it is, but we'll just count it. Yeah, it, well, that's true. There's some truth to that. Yeah, it's like, eh, it looks right. like a drop. Hey, uh, we'll get back to the Jags in a moment, but how about former Jags coach and an interim coach for a bit, Mel Tucker? Yeah. The rumor or the report out there, and I don't think it's official yet, 10 years, $95 million to stay at Michigan State. 10 years, $95 million. That is Big time dollars, one for Michigan State to pony up. It feels like, like yeah. that feels a bit more like Texas A&M, LSU, Alabama, Michigan kind of money. Like I didn't know that would be Michigan State kind of money with a football program, right? Yeah. And I think I saw somebody say who'd make history with that as the highest uh, paid African American coach of all time. Wow. Uh, and I'll tell you what, Mel Tucker is an awesome dude, awesome guy. I did not know he would land like this. I really didn't. Like, going to Colorado, you know, I think he was, uh, was he was he defensive coordinator Georgia and Alabama at one time or just one of them? I, I don't know which one. But going to the college game, uh, he's, he's a good defensive mind. He's a good coach. Colorado is the head man. Okay. Uh, I could see that and be in there for a long time. Did not see him coming to Michigan State. And then did not see this success where he got 10 years, $95 million. And I just didn't see that. Like, you have got, 10 years, $95 million is reserved for guys like Jimbo Fisher 
at Texas A&M, who people have seen that coming for like a decade. Right. You know? And, and that's what I mean by it. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it or hasn't earned it or isn't good enough for it. I just didn't see it coming when he was in Jacksonville. If you had told me in Jacksonville when he was the interim coach and he, he did a nice job taking over for Jack at that time, and uh, it was Jack, right? Yeah, I think it was Jack. And uh, 2011. Yeah, it was Jack. And uh, that was still one of the craziest announcements ever where they changed the coach and sold the team in the same news conference. That is wild. Yes, it was unbelievable. Were you in there? Oh, yeah. It was incredible. Uh, yeah, we've uh, fired Jack Del Rio and moving on. Oh, and by the way, we're selling the team. <laughs> I thought, Holy cow. Who's Sean Khan? If only they would have had a camera <laughs> facing you guys as well. Yeah. Y'all would have been like, what? I forget the exact sequence of it, it but it was pretty wild. That, it might have been the actual, we knew the selling, selling of the team, like rumblings had happened about uh, that. Okay. And then it was firing Jack. <laughs> that also was part of it. But it was a wild press conference, to say the least. Um, but wow, Mel Tucker. You were right, by the way, Georgia and Alabama. Both, right? Yep. It's interesting. He went from the NFL game back to the college game, and, and now is stuck there. Uh, and, I mean, what a deal, though. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Mel Tucker went to a place that it was a little mess. It's been messy in the sports messy. at Michigan State. Yeah. And he goes to that place, and, and now he's got them in the conversation for the college football playoff. There's beat a lot Michigan. that could happen. And now you can beat Ohio State this week, and, and really good things could happen. And that's not out of the realm of possibility because of how well they run the football. And I think what it says to me is, uh, first off, I'm an advocate of people getting paid, myself included, so congratulations on that. But I think what it says to me is there, there had to have been something there that some of these bigger jobs, LSU, USC, there had to be interest. Because you don't just randomly decide to pay a guy $95 million after one year. So I think, I think that there's a chance that could have been happening. You hear stuff, riding on the wall, let's just get it done so we don't have to worry about it. Well, I think the, I think the rumors were real. Yeah. I mean, LSU and USC. But I tell you what, this is a better fit. Oh, yeah. This is a better fit. I'm not saying Michigan State's a better job, but this is a better fit for Mel Tucker. Uh LSU is a no-win program. The uh, like even Coach O won a ch national championship. Now, granted, you can argue about how those players got there and all that. They weren't his guys, whatever. And he's obviously not an X's and O's guy. But LSU is a no-win program because you're never going to out recruit Alabama. And even if you do for one year, yeah, you're actually sandwiched in between two hot recruiting spots right now. Obviously, the state of Texas, but Texas A&M is really doing a great job. They might have the number one class in 2022. They're headed that way. And then, obviously, you got Alabama. But LSU now, LSU it owns the state. Like, there's nobody that invades the state. And they actually own a little bit outside the state in some geographic parts. And LSU will spare no expense. So, I think... I actually believe, like, this is part of Florida's problem. Like, Florida should pony up what Texas A&M and the Alabamas and the Clemsons and LSU is ponying up to recruit better. They've got to get in that kind of game. Like, they, if you're not going to have the best recruiter, we'll have the best situation to recruit. Yeah. And so LSU has positioned itself that way. And, of course, they're the only show in town. That separates them from Florida, too. Texas A&M, though, has a lot of different shows in town, and they've positioned themselves as, we'll take the private jet, we'll drop the helicopter, 
here you go, Jimbo. This is more attractive than LSU, Florida State, and everywhere else. Come on here. And they build them the facilities to show off. Absolutely. So the facilities are being built at Florida. But this is another lesson for Florida, I think, is to ante up in the recruiting game. And so you become very attractive and help a guy who's really not that great at it be better at it. Yeah, that's obvious. Like I would say, don't fire the guy for $12 million. Go use that $12 million or six of it to help your recruiting budget. Yeah. That's what I would do if I was Florida. And if you look at their recruits, I definitely talked about this on Monday. Uh, their first, their highest eight or seven ranked players, according to 24-7 stars and whatnot, all play on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, that makes some sense, right? Uh, well, that's why you just gave up 56 to Samford. Yeah, well, that's true, too. So unless you're going to score 70 against SEC schools, you're probably but, in trouble. But Dan Mullen's going to make guys like Kyle Trask look really good. That's why they're coming on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, by the way, so Mel Tucker, congrats to Mel Tucker and my man Scotty Hazelton as well because I hope he got a big bump out of that $95 million deal for Mel Tucker if that's the, the story. Uh, and by the way, Scotty Hazelton might be on his way to being a head coach soon too. He's got that defense cooking uh, at Michigan State for the most part. Had the one-off game obviously uh, with Purdue. So uh, congrats to Mel Tucker. Good for him. We'll be back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690.